0: Chapter 8 of The Northern Spy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Conover. Wyndham, Maine. The Northern Spy by J. Thomas Warren. Chapter 8. The Colonel Visits... And meditates, confound that old monster! Ejaculated Colonel Montague, as soon as he could get his horse again under control. He's off like a balloon. It's scarcely worth while, however, to pursue him for the game's not worth the powder. He can't do any mischief, as I see, and when we get through this matter of the dispatches, we may look after old Manx. he's half a fool anyway come men forward the troop fell into line and trotted on to the house of judge simon's as they had but half a mile to go their destination was soon reached and they rode up the broad avenue at a lively gait. the gray tents were already streaking the east betoking the break of day and the judge's household were astir indeed so much had they been disturbed during the night "'that none of the family or servants had slept very soundly. "'The clatter of horses' hooves brought the gray-headed judge out on the lawn, "'where he gave his brother-in-law, Colonel Montague, a hearty welcome. "'Pretty early, Colonel. Didn't look for you yet into at least two hours. "'But your horses are all in foam. You have ridden hard. "'Anything so very urgent?' and I expected at least one or two companies of your command with you, but I see less than twenty men. What's up? Matter enough, we have had a rough ride and a long one. We got information that a Yankee messenger had left Sherman's army and was riding across the country with dispatches for Foster at Beaufort. And as I was intending to move this way anyhow, the general ordered me to take a company of my cavalry and try to capture the fellow. We got in this track about ten miles beyond the ferry, but lost him. I then divided my command, sent part along the right bank of the savannah, with orders to cross below at Bud's Ferry, while a second detachment are leading out well to the left of us. If we had known, however, that Providence was about to step in so fortunately to our aid, we might have spared our horses a little. "'A Yankee messenger,' returned the judge. "'Then I hope you will catch him. "'These Yankees are most pestilential fellows "'and are a little too shrewd for any use. "'Do you think you will overtake him?' "'Overtake him? Why, isn't he here now?' "'Here? Who? The Yankee, you mean?' "'Yes. Why, no. No Yankee. "'What? Has that gossip deceived me?' Oh, you mean the young captain that Gossam ran down here last night? Of course. He is the one we are after. He is a Yankee. Yes? Yes, why not? Can you have made the same error that Gossam made? What was that? To mistake Hardy's messenger for Sherman's. I have made no mistake. This young man was a Yankee in disguise. He wore a Confederate uniform. Yes, but his dispatches were addressed to Beauregard. At Charleston, for I saw them. All a sham. The outside envelope was indeed addressed to Beauregard, as they say, but that was a blinder, and I hope soon to convince you. What have you done with the man's body? Hope you haven't buried him, for I've been told he was the son of my old enemy, Saint Leger, His youngest son, George. I want to be certain of it. You astonish me. George St. Leger, To be sure, I never saw him, but I have heard enough about him. A Yankee messenger. You bewilder me. But you haven't buried him, have you? Buried him? Do you take me for a heathen? Asked the judge with the greatest surprise. I should hope not. Why do you ask? To suppose me capable of burying a live man. Alive? Better yet. Gossum is a veritable liar. At first he swore he hadn't seen any such person, but no sooner did he learn that this saint leger was a genuine Yankee spy than he declared he had killed him in your dooryard last night. All right, however, I'm glad he is alive. Well, I can't say that I am, returned the judge, now that I've heard your story. What? You don't sympathize with him? eh? Huh? Not with him, but I am sorry for you. "'Sorry for me, I don't understand you. "'I should think you would congratulate me, rather, "'on my success, that my chase is over. "'So I would, if it were true. "'Unfortunately, it's not the case. "'Isn't the man here?' "'No.' "'No.' "'When did he leave?' "'During the night.' "'How and where? "'Where, I can't say. "'How he stole my best horse.' Do you mean to say that this man, who was nearly killed last night, got up and stole your horse and rode away? His hurt was very slight. But his dispatches, you have them, surely. No, I thought him one of our men. He stole away during the night and left no trace, except a short note to your daughter, which is of no importance in itself. Well, well, said Colonel Montague, it strikes me that the fates are against us. Things are badly mixed up, but if the fellow is gone we must follow, that's all. I hope you have a bit of breakfast for us. Yes, yes, come in. The boys will tend your horses, an hour's delay matters little. The troopers dismounted and led their horses to the rear of the house, where they gave them some hay, meanwhile partaking themselves of a few bits of hardtack interspersed with fragments of a huge corn-cake which was distributed among them by one of the judge's servants the colonel and the judge entered the mansion where a cordial greeting took place between his sister mrs simons alice and himself the colonel had not seen his daughter for a fortnight and testified his love for her by pressing her to his bosom tenderly and covering her fair face with kisses An hour passed rapidly, and shortly after sunrise, the colonel bade adieu to the judge's family and ordered his men to mount and away. Just as he was throwing himself into the saddle, Alice slipped a piece of paper into her father's hand with a request to read it when he was fairly on his way. Then the troop trotted gaily down the avenue and along the highway leading to the east. Hmm. wonder what the girl has written. "'Alice is a queer little piece as ever lived, but a good girl. "'Yes, a dear good girl,' Siloquised the colonel, "'as he rode at the head of his troop. "'It must be some girlish request she has to make. "'Can't be new dresses she wants, for two reasons. First, there are none to be had. "'And secondly, her mind don't run that way. "'But she is a dear good girl, just like her poor dead mother. "'Ah!' My lost Alice. I see you now, as in years are gone, and your daughter is in the image of your own sweet self. How I wish this dreadful war was over. Ah, my poor girl. If the fortunes of war should yet leave you an orphan, how dreadful it would be. But the end is coming, I feel it. If we crush Sherman, we are victorious, and our independence is achieved. If we don't, the game is up and a southern confederacy is a myth. God help the right. Colonel Montague was in a meditative and sober mood, and, by the way, he was of late much given to such turns of mind. He had not been a willing secessionist, his attachments clinging at first tenaciously to the old flag and its hallowed associations. But when his fiery little state cut loose from her moorings in the old government, and state after state followed her lead, Mr. Montague, so that there was little use in holding back longer, and he drifted, rather than went of his own accord, into the ranks of the rebels. He was a man of great courage and energy, and raised at once a company of cavalry, and was soon promoted by successive steps to the colonelcy of his regiment. Of late, Colonel Montague had begun to see with the shrewd eye of a businessman that the success of the rebellion was impossible, that the powerful arm of the old government would soon sway its scepter again over the undivided country. This being his firm belief, his zeal had greatly abated in the rebel cause. And as he was loath to join the rebellion at first, so now he was ready to leave its tottering fortunes. Indeed, he secretly hoped the issue would speedily be decided thus, although he would not have done a treacherous act to assist to this end for his right arm, for the colonel, in his way of thinking, was a man of the strictest honour. Montague was a widower, having lost his wife in the early stages of the war. His plantation was in charge of an overseer, but his daughter Alice, an only child, resided for the present with her uncle, Judge Simons, at whose house we have seen her. In this daughter were bound up the affections of the father. He fairly worshipped her, and was indulgent beyond belief. Her wish was almost law to him, and his late parting had revived and renewed all his attachments for her. So he was now in a proper mood to open and read the little note that Alice had slipped into his hand, It was seldom that he refused the request of his daughter, and it was not likely that he would now, should the note contain one, which he had no doubt it did. He therefore drew forth the slip, and was on the point of opening it when he hesitated. Then he kissed the note, and said to himself, My dearest Alice, your request shall be granted for your own and your mother's sake, no matter what it may be he then opened the note and read it. In an instant his brow grew dark and his eyes were lit up with strange gleam, and he drew his breath heavily. Then he crushed the note in his powerful hand and plunged his spurs into the side of his horse. He galloped on more furiously than ever. The men wondered, but said nothing, and rode rapidly to keep up with their leader. It was evident that the contents of the note had made a powerful impression upon the colonel and had greatly excited him. The note ran thus. Dear, kind father, you say the young officer you are pursuing is a union man, and that he is the son of our old enemy, Saint leger I entreat you to spare his life if you capture him. Let the bitter feud that has existed between the families cease, I pray you. It is a woman's province to heal quarrels. Let it be my mission now. Affectionately, Alice. No wonder that the fiery southerner was excited upon reading this note, a note from his only daughter, asking for the life of his bitter sworn enemy. An hour before he had thought in his own mind that the time had arrived, when, at one blow, he might blot out the only survivor of the hated st leger family and thus secure peace and quiet for himself and his but now he had vowed to grant his daughter's request and that forbade the execution of his cherished plan there was a severe tumult of feeling and a struggle in his breast for a time and then he drew rein and rode more leisurely for he had decided to spare the young man's life should he be caught more even than that for when once he looked at the matter calmly he saw the unreasonableness of the feud that existed, and even went so far as to form a partial determination that he would propose conciliatory terms to young George St. legier Were it not better thus? The St. Legere's had begun the quarrel, and bitterly had they suffered therefore. If therefore the youth were disposed, he would strive to reconcile him. AND TRY FOR ONCE THE POWER OF KINDNESS. IF THEN HIS OFFERS WERE SPURNED, UPON THE YOUNG MAN'S HEAD WOULD FALL THE BLAME. THE PARTY HAD RIDDEN A HALF DOZEN MILES, AND THE BRIGHT SUN WAS MOUNTING WELL UP IN THE SKY. THEY HAD AS YET SEEN NO SIGNS OF THE FUGITIVE, AND BEGAN TO DOUBT WHETHER EITHER OF THE OTHER SQUADS WOULD SUCCEED IN CUTTING HIM OFF. THEY NOW DREW rein AT A SMALL STREAM TO LET THEIR BEASTS DRINK and recover their breath for a moment. Before them lay a strip of pine-wood through which the road ran. Suddenly the sharp report of a pistol was heard from the woods, and a confused noise as of many voices in the distance. End chapter 8